You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is Season 5, Episode 12. This episode is sponsored by Dita 10, Duke Initiatives in Theology and the Arts. Theology and the Arts is one of the fastest-growing fields of research and innovation in the Church. Dita 10 builds on a decade of that scholarship and launches a new conversation September 5-8, through 8, 2019, in Durham, North Carolina. For more information, follow the link in the show notes of this episode or visit sites.duke.edu slash DITA. Registration is now open. I find that a lot of my own spiritual journey and quest has been just being really present to what is before me in the now. And abstract art does that for me. It draws me further into the now. Lanicia Rouse Tinsley is an abstract artist based in Houston, Texas. Her portfolio also includes a range of work in photography, painting, teaching, writing, and speaking. Lanicia creates out of a desire to make the invisible landscapes within and the human condition known, using texture, form, and color to speak to life upon various surfaces in ways words cannot. In addition to her art, Lanicia works with Project Curate as co-spiritual director and consultant for the arts, and she is co-founder, co-creative director of Imaginor Group, an international alliance and think tank of black activists, artists, writers, scholars, and educators. Lanicia is a graduate of Duke University Divinity School and a graduate of Wofford College with a BA in sociology. I recently had a conversation with Lanicia about her creative process and about art as healing and as a means of expressing the full range of our human experience. Patrons of the podcast can enjoy an additional interview with Lanicia about her inspiration in James Baldwin, as well as a downloadable PDF of Baldwin's essay on the creative process. This is my interview with abstract artist Lanicia Rouse Tinsley. Lanicia, I'm thrilled to have you on Makers and Mystics today. Thank you for joining me on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited about being in conversation with you. I've admired your work from afar and just you're doing really good things. So it's good to be a part of what you're creating in this world. Yeah, well, that is mutual for sure. I've enjoyed seeing your art online and just following your work down in Houston. And so I'm excited to have this conversation. Oh, thank you. I've read that your work tends to center around universal themes of the human condition, themes such as life, death, grief, and struggle. Tell me about how these themes find their way into your work. Yes. I think my life has always been I'm really in tune. Since I was a kid, I was really in tune with the realities of life. Uh, my heart was always drawn to places and curious about places of pain and also places of hope and restoration um, in this world. And so I've always been, that's always just been a part of who I am, my wiring, mm -hmm. um, to pay attention to those things. And so whenever I approach the canvas, um, whenever I am making um, anything, I'm bringing this, this wonder, curiosity, and way of seeing and listening to the world with me. And so I, I paint from a place of intuitively, from a place of emotion, of, 
of ponderings about this world, of focusing on questions about who we are, how we've gotten here, who we can be, what we can become. And I try to work that out through textures and colors and layers and layers of different matter um, materials and create work that expresses whatever it is that's on my heart at the time that I approach the canvas, um, whatever truth that I'm seeking, whatever energy I need to release. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I'm drawn to abstract art, and my interest in it is not just the beauty of the work itself, but I love thinking of abstract art as it relates to theology and as it relates to these larger themes of life, like we talked about, you know, hope and grief and struggle and all these different things. And, you know, because historically, especially within the community of faith, abstract art was not always understood. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't highly valued, even from, from great scholars and thinkers in the Christian tradition. And I talk about this over and over. Some of my listeners are probably like, okay, here he goes again, <laughs> you know. But I think it's important to discuss because it is somewhat of a relatively new understanding within communities of faith. So, Tell me how your work as an abstract artist conveys your thoughts um, as someone who has gone to seminary school, as someone who has, you know, been interested in theology. Yeah, I've always been one who has been comfortable with not knowing, um, who's been drawn to mystery, to the questions that lie beneath the answers. So I'm always seeking and searching for more and understanding, and I'm okay with not knowing. And abstraction for me creates this this space of of freedom to live there, um, to to really embrace ambiguity and complexities and Mm -hmm. beauty and mystery in ways that really resonates with my own spiritual, I guess, journey uh-huh. and understanding of what it means to to be a human created by a divine presence that is beyond anything that I can possibly comprehend, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Um, and so for me, abstraction just makes sense. It's just a natural way for me to engage um, the mystery uh-huh. and to begin to, to point to um, use nuance and subtleties and colors and textures to to explore just the the beauty and wonder of what it means to be created um, and to live into a, in a world that I didn't create, that we didn't create, um, and that we get to participate in co-creating. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I find that a lot of times as humanity, and then especially as someone who's been a part of institutions such as the church, we tend to really be on this quest for certainty. Mm-hmm. And um, we want to be certain about things that are uncertain and um, are really uncomfortable with things like abstract art and abstract thoughts that maybe place us in a place of just not knowing and mystery. And I've, I kind of want to create space for people to slow down and to be in that place of wonder and curiosity. I'm okay when somebody sees my work and says, I don't get it. 
Um, I think it's like, okay, yeah, just sit with that. Or, um, and what is it that you don't get? What are you feeling? What aren't you feeling? Are you curious even about the textures that are on the board, like the embodiment of the canvas itself? Like, are you, you know, just having people just to kind of sit there with it and not necessarily have all the answers or feel, um, I think we feel like we always have to figure things out. But I find that a lot of my own spiritual journey and quest has been just being really present to what is before me in the now. And abstract art does that for me. It draws me further into the now in various ways. And um, yeah, so that's how I work. Yeah. You mentioned curiosity as one of the primary motivators of your work. Tell me how much of your art is predetermined before you ever put color on the canvas? And how much do you leave to curiosity and intuition? Yeah, so probably about, gosh, if I had to do percentage, <laughs> uh, I would say, you know, like my process is has many steps, right, um, to it. And there is always this time of I journal daily. Um, I'm always paying attention to life around me. And so before I come to the canvas, there is something within me that's being stirred, that's wanting to come out. And so there may be a concept of sort. If I'm doing a commission, there's definitely a concept that I've I've researched that I've sat with for a while before I even touch the canvas. Um, some of my own personal work though, it's this, I guess, this birthing of something that's been kind of forming in me for a little while in me. And then once I get to the canvas, it just pours out. And so I just intuitively draw to like, oh, I wanna, I think, this needs brick. I'm kind of curious of what the texture of brick would look like here and the metaphor in that. And so allowing myself freedom in the process to, to discover and add paper or different materials that I may not have thought about when I first got to the canvas and kind of feeling my way through is what I say I do. And that's about, I would say, a good 70, 80% of my work. I like to embrace processes that really slow me down and that allow me time and space to to play um, and to to listen and discover and yeah, some freedom in that. I'm all about freedom. <laughs> it sounds like your process is a really meditative or contemplative approach to art making. Most definitely. I, I don't think I could really work any other way. And that's why sometimes commissions can be so hard for me. But I've I've learned through doing that process of how to, to even make commissions a process that's natural for me and life-giving and freeing for me. Yeah, because I, I have to work from that inner, that inner place um, and a place of honesty, right? And that's how my work comes about. I want to read a quote from one of my favorite thinkers, and you may be familiar with John O'Donohue. Yes. He says, the invisible hungers to become visible, to express itself in our actions. This is the inner desire of work. When our inner life can befriend the outer world of work, new imagination is awakened and great changes take place. Ah. Uh. Exhale. <laughs> he has such a way with words. <laughs> I really like his stuff and um, have his book really It's one of my studio books, um, actually, um, his book of blessings. Yeah, that that is so true for me. And I think 
So much of my life journey was spent suppressing and hiding and in many ways avoiding vulnerability. And so my art making process in many ways has been one of participating in my own liberation and really practicing vulnerability, um, of really digging deep and not being afraid to go to the places within me. As James Baldwin, another one of my favorite voices says, like those wilderness places that are even within me. Um, and to go there and then not be afraid to let it out. Because I do think that it kind of draws connection. Like that's the place of connection with each other. Things that we can relate to. And like the human experience that I had, there's a lot of particularities and specific things about it. Uh, those invisible things are, I think, have some resonances with other people's stories and experiences of life too. And so, yeah, there's a lot of power and freedom in that for me. You talked about vulnerability and how the creative process, for you at one point, you suppressed what was inside of you, but through the creative process, you began to open up these things that were swirling around inside of you. Can you tell me a personal experience where this has really become manifest in your art? Yes, I, well, um, I guess the best place to start is in 2013, um, my husband Cleve and I, we lost our daughter, AJ. And um, she was born prematurely and we were expecting her five months later, um, and she 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 came in December 2013, and that moment was a shattering, heartbreaking, shattering moment for me, where I came to terms with death and loss in ways that I had never experienced before, and there was something about the healing process and the way I chose in that moment to journey through that grief that revealed to me the importance of, of being honest about um, our pain, honest about our, our wounds, the places that hurt. Um, I, I did a lot of studying even on the physical body, right? And like when we have a cut, um, the wound first needs air, right? Exposing it to air is a part of that healing process before we put the Band-Aid and all the stuff on it. Like it needs to be exposed. And so, um, I realized that there is something really powerful um, and healing in exposing in ways that we discern makes sense and that are uh, brave, but also safe, right? There's some wisdom in how we expose our full selves to people. Um, but there, that there's, there's life in that, right? And I realized when we lost AJ to death that part of my um, journey through that and wanting to really embrace life and not only just survive this life, but I said, you know, it just screamed out to the universe, like, I want to thrive and I want to survive and have that kind of abundant life that um, my particular faith it said um, is possible for me um, as I live with the grief and the pain of her absence that vulnerability was just going to have to be a part of it. And I, I found that to be true in that healing process. And, you know, and it helped me make it through. And so in my art, when I entered into art, and that was the moment um, AJ's, her existence and her birth um, and her death was part of my rebirthing 
um, and claim as an artist is my identity and wanting to create. And I guess in some ways it was just this desire to like create almost as a form of resistance that my body was capable of creating because I lost her because of my body not being able to hold her any longer, right? And so I think that was part of it. Um, I think I had always been an artist, but I was um, always afraid to to claim that identity and to live fully into it. Uh, And when you lose a child or you lose someone that you love, um, all of the list of fears of losing things, it just seems so small in comparison. It's like, well, if I can survive this, if I'm still here after this, I can survive um, maybe missing a paycheck or two. I can survive losing my car, um, not being able to buy X, Y, and Z. I can make it through. And so the fear, the fear of not doing it became stronger than the fear of doing it for me. And I knew that as an artist, that part of my identity was going to have to be truth-seeking and truth-telling and allowing things to come to surface that I may want to to hide and, you know, that I'm human and that there's a sacredness and beauty about that. And so fast forward five years later, I just did a whole body of work and I'm still in the process of working it out where I am revisiting the pain of her absence in my life. It's been five years and December of the past year was as if it it was like the same year she had died. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was something about the five. Um, It was just so really fresh and raw for me. And I realized that um, I did what I needed to survive, but I hadn't really delved into into some places of real brokenness and anger and pain um, that was still there. And so... I took it out to the studio grounds. Like I was outside painting with dirt and really abstract expressionism and really drawn to that movement. And so I was just expressing all of the stuff that was within me. Uh, I was reading old journal entries and just really sitting with and weeping um, at times and um, laughing at other times as I just remembered her presence within me, you know, and just really wanting to put all of that on canvas. Um, all of that into the work to release that, to not hold on to it anymore, and then put it out into the world and, yeah, and allow people to engage in and talk about something that we really just don't talk about, right? Um, a lot of times it's the silent kind of grieving that happens uh, when one loses a child for both the mother and the father. Um, it's this this really lonely place. And so... I find that when I am able to, through my art, um, invite other people into my loneliness, um, they find a companion in their own, and we realize that we're not so alone. There's certain things that are really specific, and but yeah, and just open up space for other people to be honest about their story and what they're going through. And so that's one way. Yeah, collage work. I work through a lot of my thoughts about justice issues and what it means to be a Black woman in America. And all of this is me truth-seeing and truth-telling with hopes that when I put that out into the world, it may open someone else up to see in a different way or to begin to speak their own truth in whatever way they need to. Mm -hmm. Wow. In thinking about your journey, with grief and everything that you experienced, I think about my own journey with grief and 
you know, whether that was the death of my parents, which I experienced a couple of years ago, or the death of friends. And in a similar manner, I found myself running to the pen, or I, I found myself running to a musical instrument to, as a means of working through that experience of impermanence and of passing. But at the same time, you know, in my experience, I found that it was something almost dealing with the grief through the creative process in the solitude of my own space. It embodied those experiences and those memories with somewhat of an eternal skin. It was almost a way of getting around death or getting around impermanence. And it's almost like the art could then live from a more eternal perspective. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does. And I actually did a piece called Say Her Name um, that dealt with that idea of how the power of memory, right? And um, for many ways, for me in many ways, art is this way of me remembering her, um, remembering lines of my story um, so that they can in some way continue to live, but it doesn't necessarily... The death is very real. It happened, and there's no way around that for me. And so um, my art is not necessarily trying to deny the reality and the profound reality and pain and absence that death caused. And just like our not even having control <laughs> in some ways um, of how our lives unfold ultimately. So it's not that, but there is this really beautiful thing about art being able to hold memory and to honor our journey, I guess, and maybe even it's probably a better way of saying it for me, to honor the journey that we're all on and the life that we live and the life that we have, the people who are in it, the stories that make up who we are. And so, yeah, art is this way of honoring that for me. And, you know, and so you mentioned impermanence, and it makes me think about the philosophy and aesthetics of Wabi Sabi, which is something that I began to to read about and study during my grief process, which isn't, it didn't stop. I always say grief process, it's always going um, really a circular. But during my um, initial grief, I f found out about Wabi Sabi. And it has been helpful in my art practice of helping me really embrace and honor impermanence and honor those the temporal things and seeing the beauty in life in all of life i really want to honor honor story honor what it means for me to be human what it means for all of us to exist there, there's a song that i love that says like it's a rare and a beautiful thing to just even exist in this world and i want to create art that that expresses that mm -hmm. that rare the beauty, the tragic, yeah, and the pain, and the joy and the beautiful parts of, that makes up the life that we live. I'm glad you brought up Wabi Sabi because I knew I had read about that, I think on your website, but I knew that that had had an impact on you. And so I was curious how that philosophy or, or how that worldview found its way into your art. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, 
You're welcome. And it's, it's really helped me because I am a performance perfectionist addict <laughs> in recovery. <laughs> and uh, Wabi Sabi is constantly challenging me in the studio to really embrace imperfections, um, to see the beauty of um, things as they naturally unfold and are um, in the work and on the canvas and to allow the work to be what it needs to be without external pressures of, you know, what other people may think or um, any kind of pressures upon what makes an art piece an art piece. But it's like in this moment, what is wanting to come out? What do you need to say? And have you said it? And just letting the work be. And if it doesn't breathe outside of my studio walls, that's okay. The work just needs to come out. It's always fun when it's able to breathe outside of my studio walls and other people can engage it and live with it. But that's not the sole reason why I create, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. There's just work in me that needs to get out. And Wabi Sabi has just really been a good (laughs) companion in helping me be the best artist that I can be, a liberated creator. Mm Mm-hmm. I love what you said about allowing the work to be what it needs to be. You know, often in my experience, it feels like that we're more of stewards (laughs) than creators some days. It's like the art tends to be very akin to like a living organism of its own. And we're just kind of these midwives giving birth to this process or giving birth to this this thing that that wants to to be spoken or to be said in the world. I'm I'm curious what your experience with that is like when you say uh, you allow the work to be what it needs to be. Do you do you often find yourself curious as to the outcome of what you're actually making? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I do. Yeah. And I shouldn't say sometimes, a lot of times, right? I I look back and um, I, in a state of wonder. So there are moments when the work just even really surprises me because I, I began not knowing, as we're speaking, what it will become when I began the final product. And so sometimes when I step back, I'm always spiraling in and then spiraling out. And I just sit with the work and I live with it for a while. Sometimes even before I name a piece, I just need to kind of sit with it and say like, oh, what is this? What was the work that was being done in me? And what is this work that's come out of me? Um, Yeah, what does it have to say? There is something, I love the analogy to, I'm just thinking about what you're saying to the birthing process though. Cause I really do feel sometimes like my studio space is this womb where of like inspiration, but also becoming for me and this conversation of becoming with the work. Mm-hmm. And um, something is definitely being in birth and created. And I also feel that like after I do a big show or I share a big piece, like my body needs time to recover before I go back into the studio um, to begin to work again. And so there's this analogy to to motherhood for me and to the birthing process is just really real. Um, and then not being able to control too, sometimes I like to, I think it's Sally Mann who talks about the angel of uncertainty. Um, I was with a group of people seeing that and we were talking about this like praying, she prays to the angel of uncertainty. And that really stuck with me. And I since then have started to embrace even photography and this process of cyanotypes in my work. So I was like, whoa, I really like this concept of um, releasing as much as control as possible and almost 
that resonates with what's real for me in life than um, the digital photograph on my phone that then I print out and it looks just like the moment that I captured, right? Um, and so embracing processes that like cyanotype printing that, you know, some of it has to happen in the dark and some of it re definitely requires light and there's washing and there's, you just don't know at the end how it's, what it's gonna be when it's fully developed. And uh, I, I'm really starting to like that. That, that feels natural to me, um, what, what life is. And there's some that come out and they unfortunately are just, they just need to, either be cut up and created into something new or just set aside. And it's not work that will live and breathe on my studio walls or any place else, and that's okay. It's all about that process for me. And I often tell people that I see creativity as more of a process than a product. Yes. You know, and sometimes the, the art that we make is really the evidence of the journey we've taken. Yeah, yeah. You know, and sometimes we think it's us who's making the art. But in my own experience, sometimes I think it's the art that's making me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I feel that all of the time um, with my work. <laughs> I, I have to be honest, like, I, I embraced also really early this, another artist in this world, she has this slogan and said, do it for the process. And I, I like to give people credit for their works, Emily Jeffords, um, just this hashtag on Instagram, do it for the process. And I love that. Um, it's like, yeah, it is about the process and doing it for the process. And um, that's why reflection is so important for me to sit back um, after I create a piece and before I create a piece, just to listen to what the process is revealing to me about myself, about this world that I live in, about things that delight me, things that make my skin crawl, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, things I don't want to do again, things that surprised me and delighted me. There's so much wisdom, I think, to be gained from the process that I glean in the studio, but then I definitely take outside with me into the world. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like art making has definitely made me a better friend, a sister, um, definitely a daughter, and for sure a wife to my um, partner, Cleve. Um, it's, it's helped me to be a better human because I, I do. I, I don't just allow the work that happens on the canvas in that space to just be left in that space. It's it's shaping me. It's giving me life is a term I use all all of the time. And you know, and I pay attention to the things that drain me in the studio. And mm -hmm. I find that those are the same things that drain me in other, you know, it looks a little different, but at the core it's like, oh, that's this is draining me in life too. So like what adjustments do I have to make? Or um, how when I do something on the canvas that's just not working, you know? And it's like, okay, let me just paint over it here. Like, what if I take <laughs> some paper there? And I, it was like my sister who pointed it out when I was telling her about how a piece became, and she was like, Lanicia, did you hear what you just said? You know, she's like, what would that look like in your own life if you just weren't so hard on yourself, right? Mm. All of the time and allowed space for yourself just to be and realize like nothing, um, not all things have to be permanent, right? Um, that changes can be made and that you can recover. Yeah, and there's possibility of things. And so, yeah, the, the art-making process is definitely always shaping me. Well, Lenicia, this has been an absolutely incredible conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. 
And thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast and to our patrons who make these conversations possible. If you'd like to join our creative collective and help push these discussions of art, faith, and culture forward, visit makersandmystics.com or follow the show notes of this episode to learn how to get involved. A special thanks goes to Moda Spira for providing the music of this episode, and I hope to see you at Dita 10 this September or at one of our Makers and Mystics live events, which we'll be announcing soon. Thanks again, friends. We'll see you next week with our next Artist Profile episode. 